thank all of you for the uh, prayers for Helen. It was kind of an interesting thing because she just kind of on the back porch fell backwards, um, hit her head on a wicker wastebasket on the way down, which broke her fall, which we're very thankful for. And uh, I knew right away I couldn't get her up. Uh, she'd fallen a couple of times earlier in the week, and when I can get her feet against a wall or something, I can pick her up and get her back into place. And so I called my son, and he came over right away because it's a whole lot easier to do it that way. And we reached down and got her arms, and we were going to pick her up. And we got her at about a 30-degree angle, and she hollered out in pain. She was hurt. It was, uh, you could tell, it was a sharp, jabbing pain. And then we tried to let her back down, and that hurt too. So she was stuck there. And we called the uh, 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 fire department. We called 911. And fire department got there first. They always managed to do that somehow. They got there first, and there wasn't any fire, so they came in and took care, <laughs> took care of her. And um, when the firemen got there, they looked at her, and they said, well, this looks like a broken hip. Because the signs of a broken hip are one leg is shorter than the other and turned out. And so that's the signs that they look at. And so it's probably a broken hip. And they were whispering this to me. And then the EMTs got there and got the, the uh, IV started and all that. And they looked at it and said it's probably a broken hip. Same thing. But the EMTs had morphine, which helped a lot. Because she, she got a full hit of that and that eased the pain off um, quite a bit. And then um, we took her into the emergency room out there in uh, Yukon. And I sent you guys an email on the way out of the door, in which I really appreciate the prayers. I sent one to Solo, and he he's in a conference, and he got all the guys to stop and, and pray right then. Got her to the hospital, and the uh, check-in nurse and doctor said, looks like a broken hip. And so, I mean, all the signs were there and everything else. They got her back in there. Did a CAT scan on her head first since she'd been in the ICU back in November with uh, a bad head bump and a brain bleed. And so uh, they checked that and said that was okay. And they said, but we know she's got a broken hip. So they did an x-ray on the hip and came back and said, well, the surgeon wants a better picture because this is inconclusive was a reading. So they had the surgeon and the radiologist took her back in and did another CAT scan and uh, came out and said, no break. So Lord gets the credit for that. He gets all the credit for that. So we really thank you for the prayers. We were able to get home that night and sleep in our own bed. And uh, had it been broken, it could have been... a really lot you know you guys know about that it's not not fun to fall and break a hip so anyway uh, we appreciate your prayers and uh, just please keep them up if you would uh, we have been uh, studying when grace runs out also our is here and pat and uh, uh, that's a big praise the lord and and uh, we sent the email out on that and she was supposed to have a uh, uh, blood clot I think and she got to the hospital and guess what no clot so Lord hears <laughs> he 
you know. Sometimes he drops those on us all at once, and we get several of those that we just thank him for because he has answered our prayers. Well, we've been studying uh, divine institutions. We have seen volition. We have seen where we all are given the ability to choose from the time that we that we become living living beings. We are given that ability to choose. We have seen the divine institution of marriage set up and established by the Lord between one man, one woman. We have seen the family, which uh, comes together and makes cities and nations and things like that. That's the third divine institution. And the fourth one is the nation. And God established and ordained nations. I find it interesting, even in heaven there will be nations. Whenever you read the last two chapters of the book, where a lot of people start, you find out that the nations will bring in the tribute and the worship unto him, and that is in the new Jerusalem and in the eternal state. So God ordained nations. So this movement that is to do away with all borders and turn us into a one world government under one one leader is all of the devil. It is not of God because he ordained nations for multiple reasons to be able to do that. We see that God uh, reaches a, a point that he says, that's enough grace. long time ago, I used to call it the maximum potential for evil. When does it happen? See, God is a God of grace. That's who He is. That's what He has been known for. And what is righteous and what is just for Him to execute judgment the moment we sin? Oh, but He doesn't do that, does He? Because He is, He loves us. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but they will have everlasting life. So he is long-suffering, slow to anger. That's who he is. He is amazingly patient. So why does God not execute justice immediately? To give us a chance to be saved, to give us a chance to change our mind, to repent, to get get the way that we we should get. So that is what he has done. But grace, though, does run out. We learn the lesson from Sodom and Gomorrah. If there be ten righteous, will you spare the city? Yes, I will spare the city. But there wasn't ten righteous. And so Sodom and Gomorrah ceased to exist. He also, his grace ran out for the northern kingdom of Israel. It ran out for the southern kingdom of Israel. It ran out for Assyria. It ran out for Babylon. It ran out for Rome. But the Lord gave ample time for those who were there to change their mind and have faith in him. So that's why he lets things go. But there reaches a point and he says, enough is enough. Now we have to ask the question, or, and, and we have been asking him, what about living in the last days? And we've been answering with principles. What do we do? Because it gives us a full description of what the last days are going to be about before the rapture of the church, the completion of the age of Israel, and the tribulation, and the return of the Lord to defeat all of his enemies. We get a good picture of that so we can say, yeah, we're living in the last days. And what should we do? We saw last time that we're to take this time we've got and do the right things, live honorably and righteously and sensibly in the present age in which we find ourselves and so how do we go about doing that well we can't do it of our own a lot of people do a lot of the right things but they don't do them for the glory of the lord 
and therein is the problem. That's all the part of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There is a good that is not pleasing to God. And so when we do good wanting credit for ourselves, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. So we do good to give the glory to God. It should be the way that it is designed. So connecting with, how, how do we live? Well, we need to get closer to the Lord. How do we go about doing that? We need to connect with not just the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, but all three of the above. All three of the above. The Trinity is one. And so when we start trying to consider that mystery, if you will, of the Trinity, it's hard for us to imagine the three thinking totally and completely in harmony as one. And yet they are distinct in what they do, in their, in their roles within the Trinity that they, they selected. So how do we connect with the Father? How do we connect with the Son? How do we connect with the Holy Spirit? How does this go about? Well, that's part of what we're going to look at and start this week. So let's take a few moments for prayer, first of all, before we launch into this, because we're talking of spiritual matters. Spiritual matters require spiritual understanding, and that comes through the Holy Spirit. So the spiritual matters require that we be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it also means that we be connected. So we want, Lord, teach us. Lord, teach us. Come boldly into the throne of grace that you can find grace and mercy to help in time of need. And so seek him with all your heart, the Bible says, and you'll find him. But if you don't want to know, if it's all just intellectual, then you're just going to be nothing but arrogant. Because love makes, but, uh, knowledge makes arrogant. Love edifies, though. How then shall we live? How do we live now? Get closer to the Lord. How do we go about doing that? That's part of what we're going to talk about. Let's pray. Father we thank you for all your amazing grace we thank you Father for your majesty we thank you for the fact that you decided to bring about a creature that could honestly love you in return Father this is something that amazes us because we are all like sheep who have gone astray, we've turned to our own way. And you said, yet I love you enough. I will send my son to pay a debt that you can't pay so that we can have the possibility of having a fellowship and a fruitfulness that lasts forever. Father, we cannot thank you enough for that, but we'll have eternity to try. We'll give you the praise. Help us to understand this portion of your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, connecting with the Trinity through faith, hope, and love. Now, you've got this um, uh, chart on the front of that handout, except you can't see. You've got to see this chart. There it is. Nice blue chart. It's empty right now, and you, you have the privilege, you already have it filled in there, all right? So you can kind of follow me along on the, it's not filled in? It's not there. Flip your pages over and draw it if you want to. <laughs> it was supposed to be there. <laughs> it's my fault that it's not, so... 
Anyway, if you draw this triangle, try to make it equilateral. Triangle, all three sides equal, all three angles equal, because that's the way you represent the Trinity. In fact, Zachariah's daddy, when we were putting this thing together a long time ago, he wrote me back and he said, I can't get the thing to come out equilateral. And I said, what? Because he was the printer. I can't get the thing to come out equilateral. And he said, and we don't want it any other way because that's what the, that's what the occult uses to distort the Trinity. And I went, let's get it equilateral, Dean. Let's get it, get, it, get it the way it's supposed to be. So this is as close to equilateral as we could possibly make it. Now, we find that we put the Father right at the top of it because He is the boss. That's very clear uh, uh, from the Scripture that the Son looks up to Him. The Father is doing all these things. We put the Son uh, on the lower left because it doesn't matter if He's on the left or the right because it's an equilateral triangle. And we put the Holy Spirit over here. Now what we find out, and you'll notice this is called faith, hope, and love. We as believers connect with the Trinity through faith, hope, and love. And so I put the believer right in the middle because we are said to be in Christ. Well, we all know that, right? We all know that, that once we become a believer in Jesus Christ, that, that we are now in Christ. The Holy Spirit is in us at that point. And if you read First Thessalonians, the first chapter, you find out we're also in the Father. So we're in the, we are intimately connected with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even though we might not realize what it is. Now, how do we connect? Now, who is the object of our faith? The Son, right? So that's where salvation comes from. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And what does the Father provide? Hope. Because as we start to look at this, we find out that the Father is the one that is the planner. Although all three of them were involved in it. Not saying they weren't. We're not going to divide up the Trinity. But we're going to see the way they've revealed themselves to us in three different roles with three different purposes. So we find the object of faith is the Son. Did he come from the Father? Did he die on the cross? Did he raise from the dead? We find that love is brought in by the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We all know that. And the Father's where our hope is because he lays out the end from the beginning. He is the planner. So we find that fellowship with the Trinity grows as one becomes a model Christian. I'll have you a better picture next week. Uh, to go with this, but fellowship with the Trinity grows as one becomes a model Christian. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Now, when you start looking around for the, the, the Bible, you start studying uh, the New Testament, you start studying the church, then you start looking for key verses. We talked about that last hour. You look for key verses that tell you some things. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2 and 3, we give thanks to God always for all of you. Now, this is a church he was at for three Sabbaths. He taught about the Lord for three Sabbaths long enough to get the Jews mad at him. They ran him out of town. 
our old uh, idiom, ran him out of town on a rail, except there weren't any rails there. So he took off and he went to Berea and they followed him there. I mean, they were highly upset because he came preaching. Messiah had come, had been crucified, and had been resurrected. So he, he had, that was his common uh, teaching during the synagogue. He says, making mention of you in our prayer. So he was thankful for them after three weeks with, with him that, that's, that they were able to put a church together and sustain a church. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. And see, it's interesting, faith works. Isn't it? This is things that you produce as a result of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is always done to the glory of the Father. Because if we try to take His glory away, then we've, we've overstepped our bounds. But we do things for, to the glory of the Father. Um, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love. See, love works too, doesn't it? The love is not just an inactive, inanimate thing. It's not just a relaxed mental attitude. It's not that. It is active. In fact, as we uh, study we study that and we go through and we look up all the usages of the word love in the New Testament. There's over 100, over 100 I think it's closer to 120. If I remember right, there's 120 usages of, of agapao and agape and 116 of them denote various actions. So that is, it is an action, it is a thought, it put into um, being. And it says, and steadfastness, that's a word means patience. The patience of hope in who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God, that would be the Father. Okay, For who? Our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. That's where he is now. That's where we are now in that sense. Because he knows everything that we are up to. So, <clears throat> faith, hope, and love are markers of the fellowship. And uh, fellowship, without them... We'll never be close without faith, hope, and love. That's why we put those banners on the wall over there. Faith, hope, and love to remind us what is the marker of a model church. Because if you read on to verse 7, you find out that the church at Thessalonica was a tupas church. It was a model. What we are to follow. Did it have a big building? We don't know. Did it have thousands of people? We don't know. Because those things evidently were not that important. What was important was faith, hope, and love. And you can track this, which we'll do, through every book of the New Testament that is written to a church, even the seven letters to the churches. Because this sets forth a standard that churches are supposed to, we're supposed to have faith in the right object as you have received him, so you're to walk by him, we're to continue in that faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to function in love toward one another, that's the horizontal horizontal uh, level of our fellowship and our hope comes from the fact that the father we have this as an anchor of, a, of the soul his precious and magnificent promises that cannot be changed so we have a real and abiding hope hope not just wishful thinking lord i wish this had happened i wish that had happened no we have a confidence hope help us in the greek is confident expectation. We really believe this is going to happen. Now, <clears throat> now Satan 
tries to counterfeit all this. When you stop and think about it, he's got faith in everything but the right thing, right? He talks, you hear people on the, on the TV, well, how did you accomplish, I just had faith in myself. Huh. Some of them, they usually cut them off before they get too far down the road, but some of them, some of the coaches, the football coaches, I love to hear because they win a game or whatever, they come out. First thing I want to do is give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them still do that, and I am so thankful for that. But usually it's, well, I'm my teammates and me and all the other things that they talk about. Faith in our team. He's got all kinds of counterfeits. Faith is not about what I can make myself believe, but about what I believe in. Because I can believe I can fly off the top of the building over there, and I'm not. This body is not built to fly. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to belly plop, or worse. Anyway, Satan tries to offer you what you already have. That's what he does. He offers you fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. It's an important point to remember throughout all of your life. He offers you what you already have. Do you have any fame as a Christian? I'm a child of the king, right? Fortune. Yeah, my daddy's got the cattle on a thousand hills, and I've got riches laid up in heavenly places already for me. Power. The Holy Spirit inside of me had a role in creating the heavens and the earth. Not that I can tap him and use him for my selfish ends, but he is power. And pleasure. What greater pleasure than to have the peace that passes all understanding in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation? It can't be anyone in there. What about this peace of soul? And this is, see, without faith, hope and love won't have this fellowship. He's, God has already given us what we need for life and for godliness. That's what he stated. So fellowship with the Trinity grows as one becomes a model Christian. Faith, hope, and love are the primary ways to persevere in the last days. Now I move into further into the book of First Thessalonians, and as we do move into that, see the First Thessalonians was the second book written of the New Testament. First was Galatians. Actually, third book. First book was James. Next book was Galatians. Next book was 1 Thessalonians. So <clears throat> you have 1 Thessalonians. And what's Paul talking about? The very basics of a church. Later he says, I want to come and fill up what was lacking in your faith. He knows that they need more information. But one of the great things about Thessalonica is they were living what they knew. And he says, as to the love of one another, I have no need to write anything to you. That's a, what a commendation for a church. As for the love of the brethren. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18, is the chief passage on the rapture of the church. Okay. He's telling them about the rapture. We're along about 50, 51 AD, 17 years after the resurrection. And so here we are, and what's happened? Some of their friends have died. They're Christians, and they want to know, well, Jesus hadn't come back yet, so... Well, how do we look at this? How do we look at the grave? So he goes and gives an explanation. Those who have died in Christ. We know it's going to happen at the last trumpet. 
the dead in Christ, will stand up or rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air. And thus will always be with the Lord. So he's explaining the rapture. And then in chapter 5, the first 11 verses, these are important verses. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says he'll deliver us from the wrath which is to come. 1 Thessalonians 5 picks up on that a bit. And he talks about the, the different things that happen. For, just go ahead and turn there with me if you want if you want to. The best way is to persevere in the last days. How do you do that? Keep on doing what you're doing right. What are you doing right? It involves faith, hope, and love. Okay? Now, 1 Thessalonians 5.1 Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. The epochs are the seasons type of thing. Different types of history. There are different cycles of history. And in the final generation, everything comes together like it like it has. He says, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Okay, He's given them what information they need at that point in time. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Have, have you ever noticed that even when you're expecting something and it happens, sometimes you're shocked? Sometimes you're shocked. I mean, it's just the way things it's the way things work. And you know, like waiting on uh, fireworks to go off on the 4th of July and you know it's going to get loud where you are and then when it happens you still jump. Okay? It's going to happen. Come like a thief at the night, suddenly, completely. While they are saying peace and safety we know this is one of the characteristics of the last days. There's an unprecedented peace movement going on around the world, even though there are wars and rumors of wars going on at the same time. Everybody's saying, we need peace, peace at any cost. How are we going to bring this all together? And, of course, certain people's definitions of peace, I have totally different definitions. A Russian definition of peace is, is non-resistance to Soviet aggression. That's been that way since Cold War. It says, while they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like birth pangs, upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. You see the word birth pangs? It should bring to memory what the Lord said in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. It should bring back about the different things that are going on, and he says... He says, the wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, these are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Now, what is the birth pang about? It's about bringing forth a new generation, the millennial kingdom. That is what it's about. About bringing forth the millennial kingdom. And he says, they're all just birth pangs. So when we look around the world and we see what's going on in Ukraine... We see what's going, and see, that's just the most recent conflict. There's still conflict in Afghanistan. All up and down Africa, you find conflict throughout all of the, uh, not all of them, but there is conflicts going on as the Muslims move south and try to remove the Christians from that particular continent. There is conflict everywhere. Lawlessness is increased because nobody's prosecuting anything. He says, they shall not escape. 
You, brethren, are not in the darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you're all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night or of darkness. And if we went and exegeted all of this, you would find you're all sons of the light and sons of the day. Okay, And then it says we're not of the night nor of the darkness. We're not part of Satan's kingdom. So let us not sleep as others do. But let us be alert and sober. In chapter 4 you had a word for sleep. That was the sleep of believers who had died. And not yet been res- resurrected. This is a different word for sleep. And it's a word that means to be spiritually asleep. Spiritually asleep. How long have you heard asleep at the switch? Okay. Any Anybody ever been a night watchman? Anybody worked the graveyard shifts? I've worked more than one of my share of those. And it's it's kind of like, well, I'm just going to rest my eyelids for, and you're gone if you're not careful. It's real easy to happen. He says, let us be alert and sober. Alert is spiritually alert. And sober is spiritually sober, the words that are used there. He's saying, what is spiritual sober sobriety? That it means... Of course, the alcohol comes into play. Don't get drunk with alcohol. Okay, that's found elsewhere. But spiritual sobriety, you're not intoxicated by fame, fortune, power, and pleasure the world has to offer. Okay, those things don't run your life. They don't make your decisions. They might factor in. They have to because we have to live. But they are not the driving force in our, our life. He says... For those who sleep, neither sleeping at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, and he's talking here about a spiritual day where we can see the light, he says, let us be sober. Let us be sober. How's this? Having put on the breastplate, the faith, and love. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. How do you live in the last days? Put on the breastplate. The breastplate takes us right back to the high priest. As a rule, it was a sign of protection. But more than that, at this point in time, the Roman soldiers. Paul will later describe in Ephesians chapter 6, the full armor of a Roman soldier. Put on the panoply of God, the full armor of God. And he says, here's a breastplate. A breastplate of faith and love. That's your protection. Faith in the right object starts the protection. The more you love the right object, the more you're going to know that, and the stronger your faith is going to get. And as a helmet up here, usually indicating how you think, the confident expectation of salvation. Now, if you read further, you can even read John, 1 John 5.13, These things are written to you who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might know you have eternal life. It's not a question mark. It shouldn't be in any believer's life as to whether or not they're going to be saved or not. I don't know how many times, uh, hope we all get to heaven. What are those songs we sing? Uh, when we all get to heaven. Well, that'll be great if we know we're going to heaven. It'll be great. But a lot of people are just scared to death. Even people who have been in churches all of their life. And there's no need to be. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath. And you track down the word wrath. And you're talking about the ultimate wrath of the lake of fire. 
He has not destined us for wrath. When you look at it on a local basis, He's not destined the church to go through the tribulation. It's interesting that all of the different views of the rapture, the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, all point to this verse. These verses, he's not destined us for wrath as their proof text. The argument is over when the wrath starts. That's what they're arguing about. But everybody agrees he's not destined us for wrath. Now, Revelation 6.17 is the first mention of the word wrath at the opening of the seal, judgments, the sixth seal judgment, and it looks like they're open in rapid succession whenever you read through there. So shortly after the rapture of the church, the opening of the seal judgments, and the next thing you know comes the wrath. He's not destined us for wrath, but attaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, substitution, that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, I love these, just drawn a conclusion from the last ten verses, encourage one another, build up one another, just as you also are doing. This is the model church. And Paul is telling them what they're doing right. And he's telling them what they need to keep on doing. They need to keep on loving one another. Encouraging one another is calling others alongside. Not spending a lot of time in judgment. Not getting involved in all those things. But instead, calling other people alongside. That's what the literal meaning of... of uh, uh, Encourage means to call alongside. And so encourage one another and build up one another. Do the things for the edification of the body, just as you also are doing. So they're the primary ways to persevere in the last days. How do you want to do that? You want to get closer to the Lord with faith. You want to keep that hope secure in your thought processes. Don't let every wind and wave of doctrine come blowing through and make you wonder if you're elect or not or if you've done enough works or not or any of that other stuff. You're saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God and it is not of works. Don't let people add works into it. Why? Because then people boast. It's not of works lest any of us boast. Now faith is the present assurance of the fulfilled promises of God. It is the present assurance of the fulfilled promises of God. See, the scripture tells us what it is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. See, faith and hope are interconnected. The conviction of things not seen. If you can see it, then faith becomes a problem. Jesus Christ, the object of the faith. The first century, they looked on him. We don't look on him as they looked on him back then. And that's why Jesus said, Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet still believed. That's a special blessing. If people would have actually saw it, they have zero excuse. Not that anybody has any excuse. But people who actually saw him and saw what he did and saw him die and witnessed him dying on the cross in the resurrection, they have zero excuse. But we, although we might claim one, it's not going not gonna to hold fire. Faith, or hope is faith. 
concerning fulfillment of the future promises of God. Romans chapter 8. So what is hope? Hope doesn't mean you dropped your faith or lost your faith. It just means it extends into the future. Faith is about the here and now and hope is about what's coming. Hope, it says, for in hope we have been saved. But hope that's seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? Kind of like a Christmas gift going, you know, back when we were kids, you know. I always hoped I'd get a bicycle. Okay. And then when I got a bicycle, the hope wasn't gone. It wasn't there anymore, right? Because I had it. It's secured. One of these days we'll be with him and see him. So this thing about hope, this is for us now. And he says, if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. I'm eagerly waiting for the trumpet to sound and the Lord to call us home. And the the sad thing is, I'm not going to have a sin nature to go na 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 on the way up. <laughs> you know, that's what a <laughs> a sin nature will be gone instantaneously, instantaneously in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and the mortal will put on immortality, and this corruptible will put on incorruptibility. And we're going to miss it for a while, I think. <laughs> uh, sadly, we found some joy and peace in things we shouldn't have. But <laughs> Romans 8. Now love is a faith and hope response to the Lord through the expression of spiritual qualities. Now if we're going to start studying love. There's, a, as I mentioned, a lot of verses that go with it. But... Turn to Romans 12, verse 9 with me, if you would. Romans 12, 1, as we all know, starts with presenting yourself uh, before the throne of grace. We urge you as bond servants of the Lord to present yourselves daily before, the, before, the, before God. Romans 12, 9, it picks up there after it exhorts us to do that, verses 4 to 6 tells us to we've got a gift if you've got a gift use that gift with every part of your being exploit it if you will and then verse 9 let love be without hypocrisy the Greek literally says hey agape the love anupokrites without hypocrisy there's no be in there it, the, the verb is gone it's called elited that's the way you make the strongest construction in the Greek is just drop the verb out and it's understood. The love without hypocrisy. It's a direct doctrinal statement, if you will. What is the love, the agape, that God wants? There's no hypocrisy in it. That's where it starts. And see, we, we know, sometimes we might say we love you to somebody we really don't like at all. <laughs> That's a hip, hypocritical. And it's not the way it should be done. It, does it mean that they need to get straightened out before I can love them properly? No, it means I need to straighten out my thinking first so I can love them properly. As God does. How are you conformed to the image of Jesus Christ if your love is conditional? Because His love is unconditional. If you want to share it forever, you got to believe in Him. That's the only condition, if you will, that's put, put on it. He says, Abhor what is evil... Cling to what is good. 
So if you want to let this love fill and saturate your soul, where you find evil, there should be a righteous indignation. Now I'll tell you what, it's, it's not hard to see that when you turn on and see what's, what's happening to people in different parts of the world. It's not hard to see that. And see, we just get the whatever the news media decides it's going to cover on any given day. That's all we get to hear about. And we hear about things from people that are up on that back board down there of our missionaries and a lot of others that are not on that board. And we get a pretty good idea of what's going on around the world. Whenever a person's in an auto rickshaw carrying some Bibles and a few books to to uh, somebody that some believers that have never owned a Bible of their own, and then the villagers spot him and stop the rickshaw, pull everything out, light it up with lighter fluid, and burn all the books right there in the middle of the street while the cops watch. Now, that's evil. That should trigger a part of righteousness in our soul. There's something wrong with this, actually, if it doesn't. It says, abhor what is evil, cling to what's good. You've got to look for the good. Hang on to it. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. See, this is part of love being without hypocrisy. Devoted to one another. Give preference to one another in honor. Now, that's quite an interesting thing. Sometimes you're faced with more opportunities to help than you can possibly meet. Right? The only resources that will go so far. So what do you do? Give preference to one another in honor. You start with those locally. You go to those that are part of the church. Give preference to one another in honor. It says not lagging behind in diligence. That sounds like that uh, lukewarmness of the church at Laodicea that would be written about in another 40 years. Then we find fervent in spirit. We've often heard that on fire for the Lord. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Oh, it is well with my soul. Isn't that a rejoicing in hope? It is well when peace like a river attendeth my way. Yeah, it is well. That's something to be able to say and sing. Persevering in tribulation. Now tribulation, its root meaning is just pressure. It's they use the word to stomp on grapes to make make uh, juice and wine out of them. And so they put all these grapes in a wine vat. And took, some took their shoes off. I'm sure some didn't. Anyway, they, they put them all in this wine vat and they jumped up and down on them. And you're the grape. That's what perseverance is viewed as. Pressure coming from all sides. And sometimes we feel that way in our life. It says, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Give a good word to someone who persecutes you. Bless them and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Interesting. I think he pulled that one right out of Ecclesiastes 3 that says there's a time for all things under the sun. There's a time for war and a time for peace. A time for joy and a time for sorrow. And you can often tell when people ought to be weeping if they're rejoicing there's a problem. 
in the middle of the tribulation when the two witnesses are killed. Moses and Elijah, or we can argue about that later. Those two guys that were back, and they're killed, and they lay in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days, and the world gave gifts to one another. They were rejoicing that these guys were dead, representative of the law and the prophets. They were rejoicing. It's the wrong thing. When someone has lost a loved one, and we weep with them, that's appropriate to do that. To care and have care and concern and show that. Rejoicing. Oh man, somebody you know got a promotion. Oh, and you don't feel jealous that they did. (laughs) They got a promotion. And you rejoice with them. Rejoice over a new child in the family. They're rejoicing. Be of the same mind toward one another. We're all believers in this family that is God's. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't turn up your nose to somebody that's in worse circumstances than you are. Here's a good one. Do not be wise in your own estimation. See, these things are not part of loving God or one another, are they? The love is without hypocrisy, and the next things are a list of what he says we've got to work on. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Okay? Don't play the same game with them. There is righteousness that is involved. There is justice that is involved. But you don't get just as mean, evil, wicked, and nasty as they do in the process. There is a way to go about law enforcement. There are ways that should, should be done. I remember in standing in uh, Magilo, Belarus... And I've told this before, Belarus is only 600 feet above sea level at its highest level. And we were at a place there and there was a monument that was built. And they had it was a mass grave of 40,000 soldiers that was shoved off into this, Germans and Russians. And the Germans came through to go take Moscow in World War II. And they ran into the Russian winter, which they hadn't counted on. And they got stalled. And then they had to leave and turn around and go back. They turned around, went back. Guess who chased them? The Russians. What did the Germans do? All the, all the way to Moscow? Killed and slaughtered people. Raped the women. It was, a, it was a nightmare. Much like what's going on right now in Ukraine. Well, what did the Russians do on the way back to Germany? The same thing. That's evil for evil. Not the way that you do things. Respect what's right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Don't go starting stuff. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. A dear departed friend of ours, that was her favorite verse. She used it when she was in the workplace. She used it around because she said, whenever somebody would do something to mistreat somebody else, she'd go, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And she just left it in his hands. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. George, 
you look outside, please. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. So we find that here we are. Fellowship is so important in faith, hope, and love. And we find all over the New Testament is telling us that. And if you want to live this life in the last days... Persevere in faith, hope, and love. How do you stand before the Lord without shame and embarrassment? Faith, hope, and love. Now through faith in the Son, the Spirit connects believers to the Father. Because what happens when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit seals you, is what He does. He seals you, and He connects us to the Father with a great potential for fellowship with each member. The Hebrews passage, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. Now see, faith is damaged when we walk without a spiritual sight in our eyes, and our eyes are on the world. When we write off things as coincidence or accident, I know some people, that's the way they write everything. Oh, it's just a coincidence. Well, the, the I believe the Almighty knows all things before they happen. He, he sees the end from the beginning. I believe that's the way, a proper understanding of omniscience and omnipresence. And he says, the he, when we see it is damaged, our fellowship is damaged. When we see no value in living a righteous life, or the fruit of the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit. That's what happens. If we go along saying we have faith in the Lord, we have no desire to live a righteous life, to live one in honor, to live one honestly. When we have no desire to, to do that, our, our, our fellowship with the Lord is completely damaged. Hebrews 11:6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, is, do you believe he's a rewarder? It seems quite clear that that's what he does. And does, does he really need to do any more than what he's already done with heaven? That's a question I would... I would pose. Does he really need to do any more? If we really understood what he already did on the cross and we had that appreciation of the grace that was displayed at the cross when the one that knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. We have obtained our introduction into this grace in which we now stand. Wow. To me, that is that is so amazing. There's a potential of fellowship for uh, each of us. The uh, <clears throat> In 2 Corinthians 5, 
verse 1. Go ahead and turn there with me if you would. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 1. <clears throat> I find it interesting. I already had this verse and Kelvin stole it this morning with the music. But I'm going to read a little further. For we know that if our this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, <laughs> like so many of us know real well, right? We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan and longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we were in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, in order that what is mortal us might be swallowed up by life, the eternal life given from God the Father. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God. And as you read further, you'll see this is God the Father it's talking about. Who gave to us the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is a pledge, down payment, earnest money as we know. You're going to buy a car, you give it down payment until the financing goes through. You're going to buy a house, you're going to put a down payment on it because it takes a down payment to make a contract. That's the way it is. Used to, it took a handshake. Now it takes money. So it takes a a down payment to, to make a contract. Therefore, being always of good good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. See, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son, we're absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. And we're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we have as our ambition whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Isn't that wonderful? Be pleasing to Him. Now some people, that Satan can counterfeit this. He does a job of it. He does a job of it by producing a whole lot of good to the glory of the person producing the good. Like the Pharisees offered long prayers in public so that they could be uh, uh, receive so they could be rewarded and they could be admired. He says, <clears throat> Whether home or absent to be pleasing to Him, do things pleasing to Him for His glory. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah. That's quite a statement. We as believers, very clearly. That each one might be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether they're good or literally worthless is what that word bad means. Worthless, useless, of no value. Now, <clears throat> to be recompensed for his deeds in the body. What is the Christian doing standing there being judged on works? The fact that you're standing in front of the Lord is a sign of the fact that you're saved. <laughs> okay, And then there's a balance scale. You don't work to get saved. You're saved by grace through faith. You work because you are saved. And what do you do with the works? You take the gospel and you minister to other people with it. That's what we do. 
And he says, okay, I got some above and beyond rewards of heaven. You know, if you're a believer, you get to walk around on streets of gold. But do you have a crown? Do you have precious stones? Do you have maybe a position of authority in the millennial kingdom? No. Those are, in a sense, earned. But how are they earned? Because God provides the opportunities for you to produce that those good works. That's Ephesians 2.10. Anyway, run out of town time today. Run out of town later. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we come in front of you today. There's no way we can thank you enough for our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on our behalf. You made the gospel so simple because he did all of the work. And it's all a matter of who we believe in. And as we look back through history, only one person has lived a perfect life. Only one person died on a cross to pay for sins as was prophesied and as was carried out. And only one person walked away from a tomb to eternal life in heaven with you. So Father, we, th- we thank you for what he did because you said if we believe in him, we'll never perish. We'll have eternal life. If we don't believe in him, we've already been judged. But if we do, we possess this pearl of great price called eternal life. So, Father, we thank you for the knowledge of that fact. But I pray, Father, that we would grow in fellowship with you and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.